Thank you, Annie. That's good enough. We'll take care of it. You've wrestled with it long enough. It's, it's all good. <laughs> it just doesn't like you. That's all. I didn't want to be the one to tell you, but you know. Hey, good morning, Eastgate. Happy 4th of July. Annie already said that. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have a few fireworks. Are, are fireworks tonight or are they going to be Monday? They're tonight. I know they did some down, uh, uh, down on the Grand Lagoon and everybody got rained on. So hopefully, uh, the fireworks will be able to be pulled off. And of course, we had a great time last week with the water day. That was such a blast. And having a potluck again, that was, I mean, it's just, who would have thought that having a potluck would feel so wonderful? I mean, honestly, this used to be kind of like, yeah, we're having a potluck. But now it's just like, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, we're, we're going to be reading about a potluck of sorts uh, today in our text, except instead of everybody bringing something that they pitch in, uh, all of the sharing is done divinely in a unilateral way. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you've got a Bible or a way of following along and you would like to, you'll want to find your way to Luke chapter 9 this morning, please. Last week we began this chapter and... We read about Jesus sending his disciples out, and he empowered them for ministry. We really wanted to think about that, how it is that that God empowers us to to advance his kingdom in this world. This is not something that's up to us to make it happen. We have to yield ourselves. We have to make ourselves available, but he's the one who does this. And so his disciples went out doing the stuff that he had been doing. And and, and so we thought about the implications of that for ourselves and, and our mission as the church, what it should look like and what we should be about. Today we're going to read about an important miracle that Jesus did. And I say that it's important. Um, it's a very familiar miracle to probably most of us. And I say that it's important because it's one of those rare accounts that shows up in all four Gospels. Uh, actually, the miracle we're going to read about today and the resurrection is the only event that is repeated in all four Gospels. So it does seem to carry some significance um, to it. It's a, it's a remarkable display of God's power. But again, we've said this before, that these, these miracles that get recorded in the Gospels were not just for the sake of entertainment or just for a display of power, but they're also meant to be instructive for us. We're supposed to learn something from what what we see here. We learn about not just God's power, but the nature of his power, the nature of his kingdom as it's at work on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what we're going to be contemplating today in our passage, what what this miracle actually reveals to us about the activity of God uh, in this world, through his church, it instructs us as to how we are, are called to be. So if you're there in Luke chapter 9, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, starting with verse 10. It says, when the apostles returned, returned from the missions trip that he sent them on, where uh, they were going and doing the stuff that he did, they told Jesus everything that they had done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Okay, so the disciples get back from their 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 missions trip, and you can imagine they're stoked. I mean, Matthew and Mark's account of this goes into a little bit more detail. They're just back gushing with, we did this and we did that, and that person got healed, and it was so cool. 
And, uh, and you know, you can imagine as well that you get back from this type of ministry and you're kind of going to be tired. We can guess that they're all probably a little bit tired from ministry. So Jesus and the gang decide it's time to take a little break. They're going to get away from some, for some R&R. Because one of the things that we do see in Jesus's ministry is he seems to understand the importance of being able to get away from the intensity of working with people's problems. There needs to be time to recharge uh, uh, for for themselves. Uh, but obviously, they're making plans, they're getting ready, they're packing up the camp, they're getting ready to, to take off, and one of the disciples just carelessly, you know, tweets going on a Jesus getaway, hashtag best say to bound, hashtag blessed. And so the word gets out that they're traveling again. And so people take off and, and go around looking for their campsite. And so you can imagine, you know, the, the, the morning that the disciples get up and they come crawling out of their tents and they suddenly realize an entire music festival has grown up around them overnight. And imagine yourself in this situation. You know, it's one thing to read about it and see what's happening with them and, and, and wonder why they would respond the ways that they did. But put yourself in their position. Imagine you've been planning a vacation for a while. You've been looking forward to it. I'm going to have this time. I'm going to relax. I'm going to get away. And you finally get to the Airbnb where you're going to be staying. And right after you check in, all of your coworkers show up. And they've got a laptop saying, hey, we've got a Zoom meeting started for you right now. We just thought you'd miss us. And it's like, oh, thank you. Uh, and so that's how I imagine the disciples maybe look around at this big crowd that suddenly shows up when they get to their vacation spot. And I kind of wonder if they're looking at Jesus, wondering how, you know, gauging how it is he's going to respond to this intrusion on, on their time away. And here we find an important revelation about Jesus and the nature of the kingdom of God that he's come to inaugurate here because it says that he saw the crowds showing up uninvited and what does it say in verse 11? What He did what? He welcomed them. He, and then he taught them and then he healed them. But he welcomed them. And, and, and in the Greek, the word welcome, apodekomai, means to receive someone with kindness. To, you know, it's not just like a, a begrudging kind of, oh, you're here now, okay, let's see. But it's, it's a welcome. It's with kindness. It's, it's, hey, you're here now. Uh, and, and I find that amazing. This is so characteristic of Christ, regardless, it seems, of the circumstances. And it's such a contrast to the religious leaders of that time who were so careful about who it is that they allowed near them or close to them because of their obsessive commitment to ceremonial purity and, and separation from what was considered unclean. They actually even had little pathways that between their quarters and their areas in the temple so that they didn't get too close to people in case somebody unclean got near them in the process. Jesus welcomed everyone in and near to him so that, so that he could instruct them and restore them. And it's a quick reminder that, that Christ did not come to set up any sort of religious boundaries and barriers, but to reveal to us that God's kingdom welcomes with compassion all who seek Christ. Now, I have to qualify this statement, and it actually sort of breaks my heart that I have to. Uh, when Jesus welcomed all to come to him, it was so that he could teach them and heal them. So instruction and restoration are part of what God does 
in working with human beings. So we don't want to mistake this point as saying nothing matters or that life choices are irrelevant. And the reason I say that it's tragic that I have to qualify that is that I read no less than three different articles explaining why we shouldn't be saying all are welcome uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God, that that uh, those are uh, restrictions involved in this. But listen, God does want to bring us back to life the way we were meant to be, to to experience life the way he originally intended it when he created for us. But that is Christ's work in our lives. And how is that ever going to be accomplished if we, the church, set up barriers and boundaries to people instead of welcoming them in to get near to Christ? To me, to, to waste the time, and it wasn't ink, it was online, so, but to waste the time and the words that it takes to craft an argument as to why we should never say that everybody is welcome is phenomenal to me. It just, it just is mind-blowing. According to Jesus, in Matthew 23, it was the Pharisees who, who replaced God's word with human traditions, and they used those traditions to build a fence around God's law, using religion then to tyrannize people's lives in the name of God. And they did religious deeds, he said, to be seen by others. And they were trying to be honored in the spaces of worship in the synagogues. And to do that, it meant that they had to make sure and ensure that they were seen as respectable. And we've read in Luke how those who were considered outside God's covenant were treated with disdain. And they were rejected and and marginalized within the society. And yet, all through the Gospels, even though we encounter those kinds of people all the time, Jesus spends time with those people that the religious leaders regarded as unclean. He ate and drank with them. He broke down the religious fences that were set up. And he set people free by rejecting the tyranny of human opinion about people and instead broadened out the scope to consider the divine perspective. You know, uh, the thing about it is, we, we, we can find the slogan, all are welcome here, pretty regularly with most churches. Most churches would, well, except I guess the guys that wrote those articles, but most churches would, would be quick to say, yeah, all are welcome. But the history of the church, as well as our own experiences, shows us that the Pharisaic spirit is still alive and well and working, even in the midst of the things that we try to do with the best of intentions. One pastor was sharing with me about a, a confession of guilt that, and shame that one of his parishioners was carrying with him from an event that happened long ago, back in the 60s, where he participated in standing outside of his church to prevent a black family from entering in. And of course, we would know, I mean immediately, we all know, that's, that's beyond the pale when it comes to being anti-Christ, Uh, in its behavior and its action. But have any of us ever sat around here within this building and looked around and thought, why is he here today? Why did she show up? Why why did she show up all of a sudden in, in, in this place? Why did he come to church anyway? Because if we're thinking like that, it's not much different than maybe standing in front of the church barring someone else from coming in. Yeah, but Rob, look, I know that person you're talking about. I know them. They're up to no good. I just know they're up to no good. But do you know what God's up to? That's the more important aspect. 
Have any of us actually been sitting in on the divine council, gotten a briefing on what it is that God's up to in somebody else's heart? Uh, I'm sure that there were people uh, coming to see Jesus who were only there for the phenomena, who were only there because this is exciting stuff that's going on, and who knows, maybe I'll get something out of it. You know, Maybe there was something to be gained from being close to Jesus. And Jesus welcomed everyone. You notice there's never a point in this with all of the crowds and all the potential poor reasons for people being near him that Jesus never once sets up a criteria for who can get close to him. His arms seem to always be open wide, welcoming anyone to come in. And that's where the process begins of God beginning to sift through us as human beings to make determinations and to to pull out what's best in us if we'll allow it. But it's Christ's work. It's Christ's work. That's why the kingdom of God has to be represented by his church as a welcoming place that welcomes all, that welcomes all people, not just giving lip service to that, but being willing to drop our pride and our respectable appearance and welcome everyone. Okay, well, continuing in our text, I promise it gets worse from here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Verse 12. Uh, in the late afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. But uh, we have only five loaves of bread and uh, two fish, they answered. Or, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? Well, there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So as Jesus is busy ministering to the crowds that that he's welcomed to come to him and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and he's healing them, all of a sudden the disciples are looking at their watches and... You know, they're losing daylight and they're middle, you know, they know that they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's not even, you know, there's not even a Taco Bell anywhere nearby. And they know that everybody's going to get hungry soon. And that leads to hangry people. And we can't have that. So they do what we're all prone to do at times. And they go to inform Jesus about what's going on and what it is he needs to do, which sort of characterizes my prayer life through most of uh, my, my Christian walk. They, they instruct Jesus. I love how they put it all up on him, too. <laughs> Jesus, send these people away. We're not going to do that. They might get mad. But uh, send these people away. Uh, we didn't invite them. We can't take care of We can barely take care of ourselves. We're not going to be able to take care of this mob. So let's get them out of here. But clearly, that was not Jesus' plan. So he looks at these guys, and he says this fascinating thing. And it's repeated in all of the Gospels. You feed them. You feed them. And they respond with appropriate incredulity. incredulity, incredulity. They, they respond, you know, kind of shocked and disbelieving. Um, saying, how? How, Jesus? Uh, you know, you can just imagine they're out camping. Clearly, just based on what they come up with, 
they didn't even have enough provisions for themselves. We don't even have enough to, for us to eat. Uh, probably Matthew's over there to the side, got a little pocket abacus, and he's going through, carry the two. And uh, the, Yeah, no, huh? we can't do it. It'd take more money than we can raise in a month to feed this mob. So yeah, send them away. And I just love, again, how everyone's trying to inform Jesus and help him out with his decision-making and planning as to what has to take place. And, and listen, the thing about it is, it seems like a reasonable response. There's nothing about what the disciples say here that I think that is different from what any one of us would have said in that same position. That is not unreasonable, what they're saying here. And, but it also highlights something, a tendency that we have when it comes to the mission that God gives to us as his church. And, and I think that's what's, what's a really uh, cool revelatory aspect uh, of this miracle. Uh, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the moment he says, you give them something to eat, they start looking around for what resources they can muster together. You know, uh, they were looking at what they lacked. And it's interesting because it's in John's gospel that we find out that they actually didn't even have the two loaves or the five loaves and the two fishes. They actually, you know, grabbed a kid's lunchbox and found the sardines and the crackers in there and said, hey, here's what you got, Jesus. But they were looking around for whatever resources they could find. They were looking at their own lack and looking for some way to compensate for their own lack. But what Christ actually wanted them to do was look within themselves to see what it is that they actually had that they could offer, uh, offer up to God. And I think the important lesson for us in this is that God's kingdom can be revealed through whatever it is, whatever meager thing it is that we have that we can surrender to Christ. And I love that Jesus never backs down from his instructions to the disciples. They come back saying, yeah, we got, you know, sardines and crackers. And he's saying, oh, oh, that's, that's all you got. Oh, oh, you're right. You know what? We better wait for another time when we got more resources. Maybe I'll get some other disciples who have a little bit more going on for them uh, a little later on. Nope. He gave the command. You feed them. Take what little you have right here and offer it to me and then watch what happens. It's the, it's the same God, it's the same instruction that God continues to give to his people to this very day. It's the same instruction that he's giving to Eastgate this very morning. Just like when Jesus sent the 12 out on their first mission assignment, he didn't let them take any provisions. He, he made them keep it simple so that God's power could be revealed through what it was that they did. So that God's activity would be highlighted and not human activity. And he wants us to bring whatever we already have and offer it for his use. And his power will be what works through that. Not our amazing ingenuity, not our abundant resource, but from whatever we have when we offer it to Christ, his power begins to be revealed through that. I honestly believe that all of us in this room right now have all that we ever will need to carry out the mission that God has given us to, to do, to reveal God's kingdom in this world, of advancing his love and his grace into the chaos of this world. Every one of us right here, right now, in this moment, has everything we need to do that. We just have to offer what we have to Christ and his power. As Christ's followers, I read this somewhere and I can't, ever find the source of it but it's the 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 quote is it's it's not gold that we need it's grace to continue this mission 
And there's a beautiful simplicity to this that I find comforting because it takes all the pressure off of us. It's not about what we can muster up. It's not about what we're able to to make happen. As followers of Christ, our calling isn't to make something big happen, actually, or to to build something on a grand scale. Uh, You know, if you think about it, that's what Herod was doing politically. That's what the, the Pharisees were doing religiously. And all of that ended up in death. We're called to bring our lives to Christ and let him provide what the world needs through us, regardless of how small or mundane we may think what we have is. What we have to offer seems so insignificant in light of everything else going on. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Bring whatever it is, whatever aspect of us that makes us the unique human beings that each one of us is in this world, offering that at the altar to Christ and then allow him to reveal himself through that. Sometimes, you know, as Christians in the church, we can feel like we don't have that much to offer. Sometimes it just feels like it's all we can do just to not give up believing altogether. Life is dreary and our spirits are dry and we have this gnawing hunger of our own. And then we come to church on Sunday and we hear that we're also given a mission to share God's love with the world. Oh, But when we're in our own desert and when our own sufficiency is broken down, we, trend, we tend to, to try to look around and, and figure out what we can use to prop us up just a little bit more because surely what little I have is not enough to make a difference in this world. But we learn from this account, let's bring that little bit of faith, that, that crumb of hope, that glimmer of love left for Jesus. Bring it to him because the kingdom of God is still at work regardless of how we feel about any of this. And it's still in the process of breaking in and and blessing and making all things new. And he'll use even just that smile that we can muster to show someone else. He'll use that to begin breaking down barriers and boundaries and healing. It's amazing what God can do with what little we have to offer. We can trust him to use us even in our insufficiency because he has compassion on us. Like he has compassion on all humanity. Like he compassionately welcomed everyone to that camp. He wants to provide what we need. And he wants to provide for others through what we have. That's just the divine cycle of this. You know, in my former days of being in the crazy church. And so I got to explain, because people have asked me before, you know, what are you talking about when you say the crazy church? I was, my formative years of Christianity were spent in an independent, charismatic church that was really closer to being cult-like than what you would think of as, and you've heard, some of you have been here, if you've heard me tell the stories of the crazy things that were going on there, and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, that was a, a crazy church. So it was a it was a highly legalistic environment. It was one of these you know uh, you know name it and claim it kinds of uh, things. But in that in that context, in this legalistic context, I thought that God was waiting for me to get my act together. I mean, I was under that pressure that you know if I could just grow my faith more, if I could just be more holy, then God would use me to be able to reach out to the world 
in my mind, it was all on me. And I knew that I didn't have enough. In my mind, I could see, well, I, you know, I'm not holy enough. I'm not right. I don't know enough of the Bible yet. I don't have this great faith. I haven't gotten an anthill to move unless I kick it, uh, much less a mountain. Uh, I don't have any of this stuff. I, I don't have my act together to make this work. And it broke me. Living under that kind of pressure, I mean, it finally collapsed and imploded on me. And I limped away from that systematic religion, but it was in my total exhaustion and disillusionment and in my doubt that I, I weakly surrendered. Weakly, not as, as every week, but weakly as in with little strength, I offered what, what minimal amounts of faith or hope I had left. My imagination, my love for reading, the slender thread of trust that God is good. I offered that over to him. I pulled, sifted through the wreckage to see what I could find that could be of use. I surrendered that to God, admitting that those assets were pitifully small and inadequate. But I gave that meager bit to Jesus. And I'm telling you, Eastgate is here as a result of it. We're hanging out here on Sundays, worshiping and learning and growing and building community together. And that all came out of the wreckage of my legalistic faith. That's what God does. Whatever we have, no matter how little or insignificant we may think it is, let's put it in Christ's hands and let's see what he can do with that. And again, It wasn't anything special with the disciples. They could only distribute what it was that Jesus was transforming. And we don't know the details of this. Those, you know, I got complaints about the gospels. I'll bring it up, you know, when I see them. But uh, those are details I'd really like to have, like exactly how this went down. It sounds like as if Jesus just keeps tearing and, and handing it out and they're taken around. But again, I don't know. We don't know, you know, why did he have them sit in groups of 50s and, uh, you know, I don't understand it. But what I do see here is that whatever the disciples had, it passed through Jesus's touch and that was enough to provide for everyone. So we may stand amazed at how Jesus can bring peace and hope and comfort and stability and healing and nourishment to those around us through the little bit that we have. Because it's his power at work in this world after all. We don't need bigger or better or vast quantities of anything. We have everything we need right now because we have Jesus with us and in us and working through us. But, but here's the other side of this account. This, this whole event started because the disciples had been looking at their supplies and they knew that they didn't have enough, you know, even for themselves, much less for anybody else. And as human beings, we're not prone to, to be eager to share our resources when we feel needy ourselves. I mean, that is just a human trait. That, that's a neat human trick we've been pulling since we were made. It's a human trait to tighten the grip when things get a little tight, when resources seem a little slim or we don't have what we feel like we need. And yet Jesus instructed them to give what little they had for the larger need. And verse 17 presents an important lesson for us. And let's look at that again. It says they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. (laughs) How many baskets of leftovers? 
How many disciples were there? (laughs) So everyone ate their fill, but each disciple walks away with his own personal snack pack full of bread and fish. And I believe that we learn from this that God's kingdom provides for us through our service to others. We can take the risk of yielding what we have for Christ's service because God is our provision. He cares about us. It's not that he wanted the disciples to learn a lesson about sharing and now you're going to go hungry, but he wanted them to learn about God's capacity to care for and provide for his generous people, right? It's in the process of giving out ourselves that God provides for us. And that's not just bread and that's not just money or things like that. But it's all of that. The, the time that we look at as a commodity, the, 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 the time that it takes to share or the emotional resource of loving someone who may not love us back in return, but, but what God provides for us in the act of that service is profound. Look, I know, you know, this may hit a nerve when we say this. This is a sticky point for most of us. We get concerned and fearful. I mean, if I surrender all this, if I surrender my rights or my will or my resources to God, how am I going to be protected and sustained? How are my desires and my hopes going to be fulfilled? Because none of this is supposed to imply that what we hope for and desire in life is irrelevant or insignificant. So those are legitimate questions. How will I be taken care of? But I believe this miracle while it really happened, I believe this really happened, but it also becomes a useful metaphor reminding us that our true security and our sustenance and our satisfaction of life are only going to be fulfilled in our service to Jesus and what it is that we're yielding to him to use to bring God's order into the chaos of this world as we surrender all that we are to him for his purposes and plans. God begins to pour into us. If we can really believe that he loves us. And and honestly, I think that's a, a tripping point for most of us. If we could just really believe that God loves us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he cares for us in our time of need, then we can be emboldened to take the risk of serving and loving and caring for others with what we are and what we have. We'll never go unfulfilled when we're serving something or someone bigger than ourselves. There's a, there's a whole basket of bread left over for those who take the risk of serving Christ. I can just imagine those disciples. That's where my brain goes. Later on later that night, each of them with their little basket of bread, munching on that. And I guess it did work out okay. How is he always right? I don't know. But... but But this is our challenge, to live our lives in service to God's inbreaking kingdom. This is our mission as the church, to live on earth like it's already as it is in heaven, to reveal what God's good order is like, to show what it means to to love and to love without boundaries or condition. Let's take up the response to welcome all who come seeking Jesus. Let's trust Jesus with our little bit and see how he shines his light and his kingdom through it. And let's believe that he cares for us so that we can risk caring for others. Right on? 
All right, very cool. Listen, before we we sing and dismiss, um, Allie, uh, this is your you're leaving Friday, right? So would you mind coming up here? Is that cool? So Allie, I've known Allie since I think she was like a babe in arms when she first got here, uh, is going to school to missionary school uh, in Mexico. Is that correct? And she's leaving Friday. And it's Missions Sunday, so this is quite appropriate that we're doing this. But she's going to be going to mission school. And how long is that going to last? Six weeks. Six weeks. And then after that. So, and the hope is that she's going to be going to Africa, to Tanj, to where uh, Indeed and Truth Ministries that we support is, and stay there for six months. So I think it's appropriate that we as a church pray for her. Honestly, here's what I'd really like to do. Can I get you to come down here? And can I get some people to kind of gather up around here? And let's do this. Let's send her forth as a church, right? Because that's what this is all about. Here, come on in, Mom. Right on. All right. Father, right now, we just, uh, we thank you for Allie's heart. We thank you, Lord, that you've put it in her heart to do just like what we've been reading about here this morning, to, to offer up what she has as her life, to give it to you for the service of others. And we know, Lord, that this is how you bless. This is how you work. This is how you reveal God's good kingdom in this world. And so, Father, we just ask you to go with her. We, we pray, Lord, that as she moves out in faith, that you enlarge her heart to receive your grace and that your grace then begins to flow through her to others. We pray, Father, that you prepare the way by instructing her and teaching her what she needs to know. But in the meanwhile, Father, we know and believe that you'll continue to work through her even as she's being educated and schooled. So, Father, uh, be with her. We, we ask you, Lord, to surround her with your grace. Wrap your arms of love around her. Keep her steady and still as she goes forth from here. And, Father, we, as the church, Eastgate, we send her in Jesus' name into this field, knowing that the good of your kingdom is about to be revealed to this young woman. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on. Very cool. Well, we appreciate you, Allie. God bless you, sis. Why don't you stand with us and we'll close with a song. Was that what... Father, we just trust you, Lord, to um, impact our hearts with the reality. We, we, just even singing that, Lord, help us to remember what our motives are, what this is all about. That, that our purpose for being, our, our role as your saved ones is to receive your love and express that love into this world. Not looking for crowns, not looking for accolades, but looking for your glory your goodness to be revealed in this world. Father, drive that home in our hearts. Help us to rightly represent your kingdom in this world. We pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, we'll speak this blessing on each other. Real quick, I want to mention that um, Mel Land, who's back at the very back there, uh, wave. If anybody is free this week, has carpentry skills, or even if you're not, 
skilled with carpentry, if you can hold a staple gun or a tape measure, uh, even even there, if you drop it a few times, it's probably okay. He's really in need of some help. Uh, we're working on that house for the Kush family. Uh, uh, and so he's got some work that needs to be done. If you're available at all this week or, or over the weekend, maybe uh, contact Mel. You can go see him back there. He's up there. But let's speak this uh, blessing on each other and then have a great uh, 4th of July. Uh, may the peace of the Lord Christ be with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Go in peace, you children of God.